Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray. And if you are a multifamily investor, maybe you are interested in being a multifamily investor, well, you're in the right spot because every single week on The Gray Report, we're breaking down all the latest articles, research reports, any data that's coming out that involves the multifamily industry, real estate, and the macro economy in general. And we've got some really interesting reports today. We're going to break into um, an interesting article from Globe Street talking about is the the is multifamily um, going to have a downturn, and is that imminent, and is it well overdue? I mean, we've had a great long run in the multifamily industry. Also, a report from RealPage: record apartment construction volume across the United States from Berkadia. We're looking at interest rates and multifamily performance from apartment lists. We're looking at the National Rent Report for October 2022. And then from the National Multifamily Housing Council, looking at their quarterly survey of market conditions. A lot to go over, a lot of important information. If you are looking at making an investment into multifamily, you're just thinking about it, you're trying to learn more, this is the stuff you need to know to help you make a really good decision. Joined by Matt Bosnagel, Director of Communications and Marketing here at Great Capital. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Gray Report. It's another fascinating week in the multifamily industry, macro economy. We are just awaiting a press conference, Matt, from the uh, Jerome Powell. It's going to get out here and most likely tell us we've got another 75 basis point increase through the Fed funds rate. The interest rate volatility has certainly kind of underscored in the moving markets and the challenges that we're facing. Again, all real estate. A lot of asset classes, but multifamily not removed from that challenge I was, right now. I, I was telling you last night, I felt like I was in the bowels of a ship looking over the maps and everything. I was looking <laughs> over these trend lines yeah. for interest rates and 30-year mortgage rates and home sales and just trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like? And yeah. I was like, oh, I almost have it. I got to write this number down, but it was all. You know? yeah, I, mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I mean, when things move around, interest rates, rents, you know, whatever it is, you know, marginally, you mm-hmm. know, that doesn't always the, move the needle on a macro yeah. level. But at the end of the day, an investor is making an investment into any kind of real estate, but we're talking about apartments. So looking at what their return projections are mm-hmm. going to be. And when your cost of debt, which is your basically your largest expense at a property, you know, your one line item expense, and it is such a factor on your returns because it's yeah. a highly levered industry, highly levered investment class, it limits the price that one can pay. And that I yeah. mean, if that doesn't affect pricing, I don't know what is. And but the question is, who does it affect? Why does it matter? And it, and it so it's, if you're in, mm-hmm. in the market of buying something, how do you do that? Yeah. Almost impossible. Almost. Not mm-hmm. impossible, but it's, it's close. And then if you're looking to make some kind of decision on the capital event, sell or refinance in the near term. Mm-hmm. If you are if you just bought something, you know, if you bought something in 2020, 2021, you've got a good debt on it, fixed interest rate or floating with a cap, you're in a good spot. You yep. know, you're not going to want to sell right now, but you know, you're cash flowing and you can ride out the storm. Yeah. But for everybody else trying to get into the space, you know, maybe you're looking at doing your first deal. You just get got started. You've done a deal. You need to do. A, you want to do a couple more. Mm-hmm. It's challenging. Of how do you participate in this challenging environment where the the numbers don't work and the price that is needed from a buyer's perspective, the we're so far away from that price yeah. and what the seller wants. Yeah, the market is not really 
relatively tight and we'll we'll go over the NMHC like sentiment on market tightness yeah. but it's definitely not commensurate with all the other indicators of where the market is i still think that there are people that are holding on and rightly so because really you shouldn't have to sell unless you really need to sell there's a lot of reasons not to and i think that we're just at the beginning a little bit as of this higher interest rate regime if history is any indication and i what i was thinking of this week was how much these rising yes rising interest rates have this direct effect on the financing situation for apartment investors but it's a, a whole economy thing yeah and well, housing is so important for the economy yeah yeah and the way the interest rates affect not only single family homes but like people's jobs and other businesses and there are ancillary effects that all kind of snowball into mm-hmm. as what a recession looks like maybe but i think that I keep coming back to what else is it? What is it about the economy aside from Jerome Powell, you know, putting <laughs> putting his finger moving on the, the moving the dials? Yeah, yeah. So Matt, you just said something that's interesting that I think is worth talking about because, and it's a little contrarian to some the consensus. Nobody knows, yeah. And I think what you said is just just as valid. But a lot of people are out there saying, okay, well, yeah, you know, maybe rates are peaking. Maybe the bond market is you know bottoming out, and you just have to wait. Yeah, 12 months or so when rates are going to be lower. You know, you, mm-hmm. on the single family residential side, you hear this marry the house and date the rate. Oh, okay. Being like, you know, just, you know, <laughs> focus on, you know, you want the house, buy the house. Yeah. yeah you know, you're going to, you're not going to like your mortgage payment, but you're going to be able to refinance yeah. in, in, in a year or two. And so just don't worry about it right That's now. Good sales pitch. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> don't worry about it. And then, you know, multifamily investing isn't as, isn't as emotionally driven. You know, mm-hmm. we're looking at returns. So it's not like, well, I just love it. I, I yeah. love the, I love the paint and the location. I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a little bit of that out there of, of like, well, okay, well, you know, the leverage and the loan sucks right now, but mm-hmm. next year or two years we'll refinance. Maybe let's look at a bridge loan, something short term, or maybe we'll put up with a floating rate loan because I'm going to look at the, and I don't think this is a uh, a bad idea. The logic makes sense, but let's, let me think about the average, you know, interest rate over a 10 year period. Yeah. It's going to be higher for the first two years at six, six and a half to seven, mm-hmm. but then, you know, the remaining eight years of my projected hold, it's going to be in the 4% range. And so like I can have an average much closer to four than six. That's a good point is the but options is that, for sellers. But you're saying, mm-hmm. you're, sorry, sorry, I was long <laughs> no, no, but no. You're, you're saying like looking back at the history, mm-hmm. when we get into this higher interest rate environment, yeah. it doesn't necessarily just go back down to lower interest rates right away. This could yeah. stick around for a while. That's your point. And I think yeah. that that is a higher probability that some may want to think mm-hmm. because they don't want to imagine that situation because they like the idea of cheap and easy money. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And we'll go over the numbers. This is part of what, what made me like pouring over trend lines and drive myself crazy in the middle of the night last night. <laughs> but uh, it does seem like they plateau in, in some of these key situations that people are using to compare our current period with the way the interest rates behaved was not, it wasn't just like we raise it, people get the picture Mm -hmm. and then we put it back down. So there's a lot that goes into, and the federal reserves mandates, they they talk a lot about housing, but it's really about inflation in general. And once that's in control, then maybe then you can see, but I don't, you know, last month it didn't. Well, and people are saying that, okay, well, there's going to be a recession, you know, the um, three month and 10 year treasury yields are, are inverted and we're, trying to create a recession to increase unemployment. But what if you get unemployment to tick up a little bit, but 
we are, there's still inflation. Yeah. The Federal Reserve, typically, when in a recession, they lower interest rates to stimulate the economy, but will they make the conclusion that maybe we have to at least keep rates higher? Maybe maybe they won't continue to raise rates. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. But we're, they're going to keep them elevated because they see inflation being at a much higher risk yeah. than unemployment ticking up mm-hmm. um, quite a bit. They want to get the wage growth down so we aren't in this wage and price spiral. And so yeah. they may not be able to lower rates as much as some people are are hoping for. Yeah, this will it will be really interesting because I still think that you know there are some things in the CPI, especially rents, that are a lagging indicator. But I think in general, you know, it takes a little bit of time for yeah. the interest rates to kind of bake into the infa- inflation equation. Yeah. And so we'll we'll have to see you know whether the whether Jerome Powell's thinking that or not. Yeah, it, it I mean real estate's slow. It just it has to trickle all through the economy and it has yeah. to affect it has to affect the bottom line, has to mm-hmm. affect future projections and decisions have to be made to okay, we need to cut costs, we need to reduce our yeah. our workforce. That all takes time and then the workforce is affected, wages are affected, and then maybe it hits, you know, you, real estate. You know, and another thing that I was learning last night, didn't take the markets long to react to the 2018 taper tantrum. Yeah. And yeah. so there is a possibility that people still have like not a knee jerk, but at least a reaction. Well, yeah, the market and so that's the thing. Markets are six to twelve months into the future. They're mm-hmm. trying to price all right, what's gonna happen in a half year to a year down yeah. down the road? But then real estate is what <laughs> you know, what happened six months ago yeah. or so. It, it's so delayed, which you can use the the variance in, in your timelines, you know, see through space and time that maybe yeah. make some decisions about the future. That's what if I was trying to right. do last night. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get into this first piece. It's the only really opinion piece that we're going to be looking at. Then we just got all kinds of just deep, heady reports that we're going to get into from Globe Street, multifamily's imminent down cycle. It's overdue, Matt. That, that's the least the opinion <laughs> of this industry leading experts. They are agreeing, at least according to Phyllis Klein, Senior Vice President, Head of Agency Production at Capital One. Yeah. So uh, interest rates got higher. Yes, I understand. Um, but I keep asking, and I asked last week, you know, what is it within the apartment market that has led to this? potential down cycle. And I don't think it's really much at all like inherent in the apartment in the apartment market, especially after reading this article. Like they don't I don't think they put the blame on the fundamentals of the apartment market. It's really about interest rates. Yeah. And why why am I including it? Because we've got other stuff about interest rates we're talking about, but it is a headline that it was it was the most, you know, most clicked on headline. I clicked on it and uh, and I think it's almost a warning. I'm guilty a lot of times of clicking of reading the headline and thinking like, oh, that's the point of the article. Oh, they got you. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but I, I, I think that in this case, maybe there are some people like me that will read this article and like, oh yeah, well, you know, we're long overdue. I think the word overdue and, and the way that I read it, it's like, oh, we did something wrong, like an overdue library book. But I don't think apartment investors did anything wrong as much as maybe the ones that assumed that low interest rates would go on forever. But that's that's the overdue. We're not necessarily the the multifamily is not overdue, but maybe like we're overdue for higher interest rates. I don't know. It doesn't well, make for I, I, I can see. I mean, the markets like me, mm-hmm. there are cycles. I understand the argument like, OK, there's a cycle here. There needs to be a cycle. We can't just keep going up and up yeah. and up and up. And to your point, maybe it's not the fundamentals of supply and demand, although we're going to be getting into supply here in a second of how mm-hmm. that could be potential headwind. But it's more of 
there are cycles and things that happen in the economy yeah. and maybe it's macro and it's interest rate related, which right now it is, it causes certain cycles and typically, you know, cap rates, you know, they rise and they fall and they mm-hmm. rise and they fall in prices, you know, they rise and they fall. The cycles, they're not perfect sine waves. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a, you know, a five year, 10 year period of up, upside and then 10 years of downside. It's typically a long ramp, you know, met with some exuberance at the end and then some sort of correction, not necessarily completely repricing going back to zero, but there's some res- reshuffling and conditions are different and it has to, you know, come down before it can come back up. Yeah. And looking that we were just in an incredibly long cycle across asset classes since the last um, great financial crisis, Housing cycles often can last longer than, you know, a stock market cycle Mm -hmm. and they can sometimes weather through a recession. But I think this is just showing we've hit the thresholds of where asset classes are somewhat correlated. The stock market Mm -hmm. can crash and multifamily doesn't move. Mm -hmm. We saw that in during the pandemic. But then there are other macro events where real estate is correlated still to the economy. You can't have all assets for the most part in the world decline depreciating because of the cost of capital and to have real estate be completely shielded. Yeah. That's a really good point. So it's like, but what's going to fall the least and then what makes sense fundamentally over the long term? Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to time it real quick, your risk goes up substantially. If you have duration, you can make a pretty well-educated decision to move forward on something you can have a a high degree of confidence in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good point. And it's not, not necessarily one that was nuanced in the article itself, but I think that, that and that's why I wanted to include it too, is because, because I knew you'd have a good take on it. But also I did appreciate their discussion of the importance of l- looking at local markets. Something I said, you know, something we've said before, really, and real estate's always hyper-local, so that should be kind of a, an assumption, but in, uh, but the huge national rent increases that were shared so widely across mm-hmm. the nation in 2021 made getting low you know, made studying local a little less important. Like you could pick anywhere on the map, probably going to see some rent growth there. But now, now that an increasing and cap rate compression, is just like yeah. everything's trading for a four cap. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this slow return to the relevance of local variation in the apartment market, some apartment, mar- some markets are doing more, better than others is kind of a reminder that like when you are in, when, when you're entering a little bit more of a volatile economy in general, you're going to want to make a better pick. Um, yeah. You're going to want to pick places that you know. And, um, and that's where, you know, especially when it comes to supply, that's where you can kind of find a better, a better. Well, yeah, and and exactly. And we're going to talk about that in just a second, Matt. But yeah, I mean, some markets are similar size are delivering 10,000 units. Some are delivering Mm -hmm. 4,000 units or 6,000 units. And because there is a little bit of slowdown for demand right now, you need to be more granular, more market driven, more business plan focused. Mm -hmm. And then also you can't just count on just growth. You have to really count on managing more efficiently and keeping expenses in line Yeah, because utilities are going up, property taxes are going up, payrolls going up. There's certain expenses that you're not going to be able to get around. Mm -hmm. And so how are you going to manage these assets more efficiently than you have in the past, whether that's being more efficient on payroll, on your CapEx, where your dollars are going toward, you know, how are you going to be utilizing technology? Technology. So, you know, your yeah, you can grow your rents, your revenue by 10%, but if you, your expenses also grow by 10% or 11%, I mean, you, yeah, you got a great top line number and you can tell your investors, we grew rents by, you know, 10%, but, you know, we missed on net operating income. Yeah. So that's what, what, and that, that's what matters at the end of the day. It does a dollar, a dollar gained from your more rent is the same as a dollar saved on your expenses. 
Yeah. So it, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's all going to be about getting into the details mm-hmm. and who can actually, who's got the, you know, the experience to know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about NMHC, man. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is related to kind of sentiment. And again, it's a feeling because I don't disagree with the Globe Street article. It's like, all right, cycles, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're in this period of, of you know, for, um, resetting prices makes sense. We're in a completely different situation in terms of sentiment yeah. of what buyers and owners were thinking um, compared to a couple months ago. It's certainly oh, yeah. a, a year ago. It's, it's, it's all sentiment. So NMHC does a quarterly survey for this came out in October. Um, this is just, they're interviewing a bunch of apartment owners, mm-hmm. managers asking first, you know, how tight is the market? You know, um, a, a 100 is going to be incredibly tight, which means that it's a, it is a seller's market. There's a bunch of buyers. One is like, there are no buyers. It's, you know, total buyer's market. So let's look at that first. So, you know, going back first, let's go back a year ago to October, 2021, the Tight market tightness index was at at eighty two, which is pretty 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 high. I mean, it was higher back in July of twenty twenty one, but in October it was eighty two, so it cooled a little bit, but pretty pretty tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go back all the way to twenty eighteen, which is as far back at least this goes. Yeah, there's some historical that go back to to two thousand nine, but uh, well, yeah, we'll look at that here in, here in a little bit. But so, I mean, typically the market's been kind of in, you know, call it a 30 to 50 point range, maybe 60. So it's like, yeah, moderately tight, kind of right there in the yeah. middle from 2008. But then you can see, you know, obviously in COVID happened back in April, 2020, it went, dropped all the way down to 12. There were just no, no one was buying anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that no, was market no, tightness. No one was doing anything. Yeah. So it was very, very loose, very, very loose market. And then you can see it gradually increasing until July 21. And just it was as tight as it has yeah. most likely ever been. And then it has been on a decline since then. We're all the way down to 20 now in October of 2022. This is... Um, it is not as loose as it was back in during the heart of the pandemic, but it is as loose as it was at any point since then, since 2018. Mm-hmm. So sales volume, how much is trading? Um, again, going back to October of 21, we're at 79. A lot was trading. Yeah, 79. July 2021, same thing, 79. That was a lot of transactions. We're down to six, Matt. We're, we're down to six, uh, same spot we were back in the beginning of the pandemic in mm-hmm. April. And then, yeah, I don't, we've never been anywhere close to that. So yep. not a lot can trade because of what we just talked about. Interest rates are high. Cap mm-hmm. rates are still relatively low. The debt market does not make sense for the majority of acquisitions. Equity financing. How easy is it to raise the equity to buy these deals? What's the interest level that's out there? Again, this is just an opinion. So, it, so it's definitely an anecdote, but a Pretty well educated one. We're at a 12 on the index. Again, zero would be like, there is no one investing in apartments. We can't mm-hmm. raise the money. 100 being like, the the helicopters are flying over um, with <laughs> the money to put yeah. into apartments. So we're at 12. That only the compares. The closest is, again, April of 2020 was at 13. Harder to raise capital now than it was yeah, back in the beginning of the pandemic. And that is in contrast from back into July 2021. That's obviously the peak. Um, that was coming out at a 69 on the index. That meant it was, you know, relatively easy to raise equity. Um, in October 21, so exactly a year ago, it had gone down to 65. But let's just see. I don't think there's another. There hasn't been a. There wasn't a point that was easier to raise equity yeah. according to this survey, other than um, spring and summer of 2021. Now, this isn't going to be a surprise for most. But then the debt financing. 
How easy is it to get debt is into creative to the deal? Good time to borrow money. Right now, October 22, it's at a five, pretty low. Surprisingly, back in July of 2022, it was a three, even lower. I think that must that's relative to cap rates were even lower at that point. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe we're kind of getting numb to the fact that interest rates are rising. This, Back in July, it was like, it was sort of, it was a relatively novel concept. That's what I think that so much of this sentiment is the sense of difference yeah, between conditions true. that we used to have and conditions that we have right now. I don't know, you know, I, I don't, I, I think that I've said this exact about this exact chart. Look, I don't know how the human heart works or how yeah. sentiment works uh, exactly. It's not, a, it's not a science, but the feeling is there and that drive, that's going to drive the market. You know, if, it, if you don't feel does. like selling it, then you're not going to sell something. Exactly. And another thing too, uh, about the debt financing and, and maybe we're going to get to this is like it, that seems to be guiding the other elements of this, um, of this chart True. too. Yeah. Absolutely. I think equity and debt financing are definitely lead, lead the way. And yeah. Again, comparing, so we're at a five right now. That means like the debt is no good compared to last year. We're at a 48. And then again, back in July of 21, we were at a 71, which the only time people said that it was better was back October 2019. And I guess the reason for that is that, you know, we had gone through the taper tantrum in 2018 and mm -hmm. maybe things were kind of just normalizing a little bit. Rates had come off a little bit. That's just my hypothesis. Um, yeah. So I did mention that I looked at the, they have like a historical data yeah. and I went back as far as I could, which was January, 2009, potentially not the lowest exactly point of the housing crisis, but really close enough for comparison. Mm -hmm. And today the market is slightly tighter. Sales yep. volume is worse. Equity financing is the same and debt financing is worse. We're That's going back the into the great is. GFC, great financial crisis. Yeah. 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 And you can see, yeah, you can definitely see that in the, in the chart there. But. So, I mean, the, the, so this volatility, I mean, that makes sense, but that's like this, the emotional swings that everyone's going through. Yeah. It's really interesting. Wow. To look at the market tightness seems to be the, the strongest change. There's a lot of people, a lot less people think that the market is tighter today than, than it was last quarter. But, um, yeah, I believe, I mean, just one of I, a, a many. I, I believe, I mean, we've seen the terms change on, on deals quite a bit mm -hmm. and just sellers. If, if you've got to sell your, it's not a great position to be in. So let's do a little bit of a turn, Matt. I'm mm -hmm. our friends over at Bercadia and um, they've got a new piece out multifamily and interest rates. We're talking a lot about interest rates. Every, the whole world's talking about interest rates the today. <laughs> I feel like we've been talking about, we've been talking about interest rates now for, I don't know, it seems like past, for, we'll always be talking about rates. Yeah. Usually they're a little bit more steady Eddie. It's not a, yeah. it's not a huge story. And then it was inflation. Well, really we were talking inflation, inflation, material mm -hmm. cost was rising, single family homes. Now it's all about interest rates. Yeah. Well, like I said before, it's interest rates as an equation for the larger economy and as a factor into the housing market. Mm -hmm. And then there's also like, I think we also have been talking a lot about the kind of specific application of interest rates in the apartment market, which is like the direct, how's it going to affect the math that you do and, you know, about the, and, and how you structure a deal. But this made me think and really got me down several rabbit holes about uh, what does the interest rates of today and the economy of today look like um, specifically housing sales, but uh, how does that compare with the early 80s, 
and the great financial crisis. Mm -hmm. We covered this in an article from Investec last week, but this one has an additional some additional relevance for multifamily investors specifically. So Love I appreciate it. this and the subject matter for sure. So what were some of the conclusions, Matt? I guess the Bercadia made, and then let's go to the uh, the other source. We're looking at some more historical data. I mean, just to read the headline, I mean, today's soaring mortgage rates and declining home sales trends mirror periods before a crash. I don't yep. like the sound of that. Yeah. So it's basically positing and pretty, uh, pretty compellingly that, uh, that this is certainly rhyming with these two moments. We've, mm-hmm. We saw it before, but it's like uh, interest rates go high, home sales go low. And my question is then, how similar is this to the to the points in the past? And where might we be compared to the past? Like, uh, are we on the way up? Are we on the way down? How um, the strength of previous crashes, are we in for that, you know, something yeah. that's that strong? Or are we in for interest rates that are that high? I'll tell you one thing that I that I learned is that the interest rates did not behave. At, the interest rates were crazy in the '80s, not so crazy when it comes to great financial crisis. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they they increased, but wasn't yeah. But we didn't have yeah. it wasn't not for the necessarily the same mm-hmm. issues. I mean, they're trying to cool the economy down a little bit, but not yeah. It wasn't the crazy inflation. The, the, the inf- inflation environment was different, and the the kind of under, underlying fundamentals, especially financing of housing in general, was well, different. So, well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, as much as you never want to say, like, well, this is just different. We we have to ignore the past. Mm-hmm. I and mean, there are some fundamental differences. The way the just the some the foundation, the bedrock of the economy. You know, the changes in um, banking laws and the risk that banks can take, as well as the way housing has been financed over the last cycle. Of you know, very few floating rate or adjustable mortgages. People are actually having their credit checked. So mm-hmm. People are credit worthy to buy them. And then we have all these people in home now, home buyers who've either bought a home or refinanced at incredibly low interest rates. So they're not going to have necessarily the pressure to sell. That was caused back in 2006, 2007, leading to the great financial crisis as interest rates rose. The teaser rates and the, the rates on their adjustable mortgages went from, you know, you were paying a 3% now, all of a sudden you're paying a 65 And yeah. people couldn't afford double the mortgage payment, then they would default, and then they were they lost their job at the same time as unemployment was high. So there's a lot of differences between now and then, but we can't ignore that, yeah, is there some rhyming? And maybe, so maybe the downturn isn't going to be as painful, mm-hmm. but- the market's still going to be affected. There's still going to be some pain and some losses, yeah. whether they're realized or not. I think that's the big question. Yeah. So this does have some charts that compare. And, and I was looking for the chart of our current situation, but they only have the charts for the previous situations. Fortunately, there was this link from... That's only, Mor- that's only so helpful. Yeah, yeah. There was a link from Mortgage News Daily that has everything really neat and clean when it comes to comparing 30-year mortgage rates. And I'll put that in the YouTube notes for sure. But it has mortgage rates, 30-year fixed rate mortgage compared with existing home sales. And you can see, you know, depending on where you're kind of limiting the, the period of the graph, you can really see where the drama happened in the early 80s, where the drama happened in the late mid to late 2000s. And then where we are now. So in both the 80s and 2000s, when interest rates fell, they fell quickly, but the run-up in interest rates was much, much steeper in the 80s than it was in the mid to late 2000s. I said that. And I think our current situation, both in terms of mortgage rate trends and general economic trends, is much closer to the 1980s than the late 2000s. So first the trends, and then I can kind of get to the conditions. Mortgage rates are increasing at close to the same speed now as they were in the 1980s, um, in the early 80s. In 2000, in December 
2008, the federal funds rate was near zero, but the 30-year fixed rate mortgage was 5.29. That 5% spread between mortgages and the Fed's fund rate, I'm sure, you know, that's a great financial crisis. That's because there was something, you know, weird about the housing market. And then in May 1983, the Fed funds rate was at 8.63 and mortgages were at 12. So it was at 12.63, which is like a 4% spread. So there's already a little bit of a difference, um, at least a 1% difference. But again, I think that there was significant lag between the Fed rates and the mortgage rates after the post-financial great financial crisis. In the early 80s, mortgage rates actually did seem fairly closely aligned with what the Fed funds rate was Mm -hmm. at the time. For our current situation now, the mortgage rates started their steep increases in January of this year, and the Fed started their their interest rate increases in March. If we were to follow the same path as the early 80s, we're about halfway there. The relevant stretch of mortgage rate hikes in the early 80s was about a 6% increase. Currently, mortgage rates have gone about uh, 3% between December 2021 and now, between, you know, mm-hmm. March and now. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That was the mortgage rates have gone up 3%. The federal funds rate didn't get started till uh, till March. So it was almost like an anticipatory effect. Well, it, it is because may, most mortgage rates today, you know, are not based on Fed funds rate, but more on you know, closer to the 10-year treasury okay. you know, pl- pl- plus a spread. But so the question that I'd be curious in going back on learning is the makeup of mortgages back in the 80s, mm-hmm. were those mostly fixed or floating? Um, because we know back in 2006 to the great financial crisis, a lot of those were, were variable. Now mm-hmm. we're, now we see more fixed rate, 30-year, fixed, yeah. 30 15-year fixed versus um, you know variable arm. But, so what was the makeup back then? But then it's true because you know, the 10-year treasury is much, a much more market-driven rate rather than the Fed, Fed funds rate. The Fed just you know, pegs, whatever they, mm-hmm. they say it's going to be. Okay. And then so far in the Fed funds rate, you know, are much more in line because it's just shorter term. It's more of like a money market of what's available right now for short term lending. Mm-hmm. And if it's a variable rate, it's adjusting. So, you know, that's yeah. on a monthly basis. So it tracks much closer, but the 10 year is a market that's being driven certainly by central banks and governments, international investors. And it can be a little bit more of a predictor of the future and mm, okay. it can it will anticipate some of those fed increases and that's why i mean the 10 year treasury rose you know pretty substantially and then the, even the 2 year treasury has been inver- has been much higher than the 10 year treasury for quite some time okay because it's just outpaced and the market is moving it forward because people are selling 2 year people were just dumping the 2 year treasury they were selling 2 year treasury and then people are selling the 10 year treasury Mm-hmm. So I'd be, I think your analysis is definitely on the right track, but you know, I just said, those are the questions I have of like, what's the breakdown of the mortgages is this time different. That's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah. Is like, all right, is this, are we going to have a stre- uh, mm-hmm. an analog or is just the differences in the economy and the housing market going to allow for some kind of easy, soft landing? So it definitely feels like similar issues, but I think it's half strength. I don't think we're really in the the 1980s. Inflation is about half as strong as it was then. Interest rates have increased about half as much as they did in the early 1980s. Employment is around 3.5% and nowhere near the 8 to 10% that it was in the early 1980s. And that's that's one of the, I think, the biggest differences right right there is the unemployment. That's what just kind of throws the whole equation out of like, all right, we're just in a different time. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got a job and there's good wage growth going on right now. Yeah, and that was the key. Uh, almost, it was really gut wrenching to look at the unemployment rate p- post Great Financial Crisis 
it took so long. It took so long for it to normalize. After the 1980s one, it was a much faster reaction. The ultimate rate may have been a little bit higher than it, than it mm-hmm. was. But again, the reaction was relatively quickly. So I think that having covered all of this economic context and comparison, I'm, I am interested in how the multifamily market fits into this. But I think that before the two of the key year, year-long periods that I wanted to highlight, and this is what I was getting at when I said it seemed like about a year where we had high rates, was between May 1982 and May 1983 is this year long between so it was when the rates started there uh started were high and then they started their decline and um and that took a year for things to kind of get back to normal from the peak of the or, or you know from a peak of these this mm-hmm. early 1980s interest rate regime and then to the really you know a determined uh a determined decrease it, that took that took two years. And that's that's when it comes to mortgage rates. Now, when it comes to the federal funds rate, it's roughly similar. You know, it, it maybe lags or it's yeah. maybe a little bit forward or what, but whatever. We got it potentially there is a it, it takes a year. And that's, you know, looking at this, it's a steep decline um to get the to get that six percent, you know, or or however much it was off of the, the interest rates for mortgages. Yeah, yeah they went from an 18.45% 30-year fixed mortgage rate all the way down to a Twelve point six three. So you know, mm-hmm. all compared, to, you know, you, people who have li- who lived through this will often remind us, like, oh, I, you know, I remember getting a twelve percent or ten percent rate and being happy about it because yeah. they remember, you know, this period. Although it, it's amazing, this period mm-hmm. always gets mentioned of like, you know, oh, the rates can easily go back, but it's not even like that. We had this crazy peak right here. It's not like that went on for that that mm-hmm. long. I mean, it was it was definitely high, but like, I mean, between you know, nineteen seventy eight to, you know, 1986. So, I mean, good eight years of kind of plus 10% mortgage rates. And then another, the key analog then in the late 2000s was, I think it was between October 2008 to October 2009 is where from kind of peak to trough, you see uh, it it takes about a year for these mortgage rates to come from really high to, to really low. Yeah. So that's that is my you know back of the back of the hand back of the napkin whatever um, kind of conjecture is it, even in a steep decline takes some time well, and because to go back it, what, down. because what this is looking at is the thirty year fixed mortgage rate. What I would yeah. like to see is the rates on the variable mm-hmm. because the thirty year fixed didn't move as much, but it's it was the movement of those variable rate loans. Which I don't know if there's an option here on this, but anyway, we'll we'll, we'll look at it later. But um, because that that's what really tipped tipped the economy, the housing market, and the economy over yeah. back uh, back in two thousand six. So, but yeah, just like a couple notes to kind of connect it back to multifamily. Yeah, um, Berkadia does say that the fundamentals for multifamily are strong, and that ultimately investment activity in these segments and other strong performers should foster an environment that would promote significant growth throughout the remainder of the year. I want to pair this take with a quote from a recent Marcus and Millichap research brief uh, that we don't have in here, but we'll we'll have it in the newsletter. Um, it says, in alignment with single family, apartment demand recedes. Higher debt service costs are not the only force behind slower housing demand. The multifamily sector is also undergoing a decline in leasing activity as the economy wanes, household formation contracts, and young adults face hurdles starting their careers and moving out on their own. There are two perspectives, I think, currently in tension with one another, and it's going to be clear very soon which one will win out. At the same time, it's 
possible both can be true, and apartment demand will meet in the middle, somewhere between fully insulated from the market and fully subject to the broader trends yeah. in the housing market as a whole. There's this idea like, oh, renters don't pay loans, so that you know, renters don't pay home loans, so they're going to be, uh, they're going to keep renting, and rent growth will continue. And then there's the other, another perspective. I think that's like, well, yeah, but the whole economy is going to go yeah. down because other businesses use these loans too. Yeah, such yeah, as yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Just a slowdown in general. Less yeah. wage growth, less people getting jobs, not yeah. moving around as much, might move in with a roommate. Yeah. But yeah. even if we meet in the middle between these two, I do think that the historical uh, trends and current conditions suggest far more sup- uh, stability for apartment rents than home, than home prices. And that's something we saw, we've seen all year. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, let's talk about outside of the just the super macro. This is still macro, but it gets into the more local level and something that's more multifamily specific. And that is the supply story. Um, record apartment construction across the United States, according to RealPage Analytics. We've been talking about this a lot. But this is another highlight. Now, it's a double-edged sword, Matt, because on one hand, you know, we've got a housing crisis and the only solution is more supply and more yep. units where we're good, you know, 4 million plus or minus short that we need over the next, uh, you know, a little less than a decade. Looks like we may be making a little bit of a dent in it. But again, these national numbers, they can be a little bit deceiving because there are there's a huge concentration in a handful of markets. But yep. as a general rule, there is a lot of apartments being built across the United States right now. Mm-hmm. 924,000 are underway that's incredible. I'm sorry, 917 units are currently under construction across the U.S., which represents a 4.9% of mm-hmm. the nation's housing supply in terms of multifamily. That's a lot, Matt. But we keep hearing that all these apartments are being built, but they're not actually being delivered. They're not actually finish, I, finishing building them. Are, that, they, are they speeding up? Well, then that was um, that was one of the points that I made um, a little bit when I was taking notes about this. Is are we? Is this huge number of? Is it kind of like a backlog that's just like piling up? That's kind of what it seems like. And with that in mind, too, we're going to have to probably wait a while for some of these projects to be finished, anyways. And it may just end up that we'll see completions at a you know steadier rate than these than this huge wave of yeah. under construction mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. imply. I do think you know one thing that makes me and. They do jump into the nationwide numbers. They have that 4.9% and they have that huge almost million units in construction, but they quickly shift to a local focus. And um, that map that you're showing, yeah, that map that you have up right now is the 16 markets with record units under construction. And just at a glance, you know, looking at the numbers themselves, it's easy to see that not all of these markets are the same, both in terms of the share of exists, the percentage of units that are under construction and the number of units, um, the, just the raw number of units. For instance, Dallas leads the pack with 49,185 units that make up 7.4% of supply, but a close second is New York City, which has 44,900 units under construction, making up only 2.3% of supply. And at, at the other end of this list, when it comes to numbers of units, they have a bunch of Midwestern markets highlighted here. Columbus has eight uh, 8,768 units and 4.5% of supply. And Milwaukee has 
5,755 and 3.6% of supply. They don't mention the percentage of supply for the other two markets on this list, but Kansas City's a little over half the size of Columbus and getting just as many units. So that may mm-hmm. mean that might mean, you know, stronger than Columbus, maybe more than 3.6, maybe four or something or four or five percent. And then there is Indianapolis, which is uh which the the percentage of supply isn't shown here, but Indianapolis is a little smaller than Columbus and has just under three quarters of the units under construction comparatively. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but the but for Indy that it could be about three point three percent of yeah. current supply, and and then that is below the national average of four point nine percent. But again, these are under construction; these are not completions. Now, last week or the week before, we looked at Yardy Matrix. And I know the numbers for Indianapolis completion. I don't have the other ones on the top of my head. Uh, but the completions, recent ones, were 1.3% yeah. for, yeah. for Indianapolis. Yeah. There's been a big lag between actually announcing a project that's in the pipeline yeah. and then actually getting the project done, mm-hmm. fleeced up, delivered. That's taking a lot longer. But yeah. these will deliver at some point. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of supply on the way in that, depending on at the rate that they are delivered and relative to the already current supply and demand in the market, it's worth tracking because it could provide a headwind in some markets in terms of occupancy and rent growth. And this would most likely show up in the kind of the ultra luxury, a class, a plus class, because all of a sudden, you know, you've got a ton of new apartments that are uh, available in the market. Oftentimes a new delivery, they're making rent concessions and specials to get them leased mm-hmm. up. And, you know, if you, so if you have a deal that was delivered in 21 and you had, you know, you raised rents already, then someone else gets delivered mm-hmm. and they're thousand dollars off and, you know, nicer, newer, it's got whatever the difference is between a you know, one year of design, but yeah. you know, it's just the freshest, best thing, better, good location. You're probably not gonna be able to raise your rents. Yeah. You know, now the big question is though, you know, that might have some of those A-class slightly older, you know, a couple of years older A-class properties is that, you know, they may have been delivered under a different cost basis. So, you know, maybe they're, hmm. you know, maybe they're two beds are trade they're leaking for $1,500 mm-hmm. because the cost of construction was, I'm just picking around number, Called one hundred and eighty thousand per unit. Yeah. But now the new apartment down the street that's just being delivered, you know, construction costs went up, labor went up. It took longer to build, so the construction is like two twenty per door or something like. It was really expensive. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe even more. They're going to get have to get higher rents, and so maybe there's enough of a difference that even with that concession, that slightly older A class yeah. property can still be competitive, but the newer ones can still going to be the brand new thing but it'll it'll be interesting to watch this at the pace of how of how these uh new units are delivered over the next couple of years yeah and i keep coming back to locality and you know kind of focusing on the local like that globe street article said i think that in some places maybe a newly built complex could draw apartment demand from maybe miles away yeah. Some places from a half mile away. I don't know what the yardstick is, and I think it, it, yeah, it all depends on lo- yeah, like, location, and, and the jobs, and and maybe it's, it's like the transportation and everything. But but it's true. I think that it's not just a market issue. It's you know look at your submarket, maybe even look at the neighborhood or like a you know half mile area um, around because that that could affect everything, yeah. um, especially when it comes to new apartment supply coming online. Absolutely. Well, so that's talking about the future. I'm good to keep in mind. Let's talk about uh, this last month. Let's talk about rent growth, national rent growth from apartment lists, their national rent report from this came out October 30th, 2022. And a big headline rents nationally fall by 0.7% month over month, but rents are still up 5.7% 
year over year. Yeah. This was of the of the rent growth numbers that we're following. Apartment list is actually the lowest. Mm. And we'll see what what the other October numbers shake out to be. But it's definitely, you know, it's like about two and a half percent away from the average when it comes to uh, year over year rents. Month over month, negative point seven. They're really hanging this on seasonality. I think this is this is definitely even at a glance stronger than seasonality. Yeah, I was gonna just that's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. So I, I wonder if and and again if we're also going with seasonal trends, November is about the same as October, mm-hmm. and that's like the lowest. And then rents the rent decrease weakens in December, maybe is about at zero or maybe a little bit positive in January, and then it and then it continues to grow through the renting season. You know, it's just the waves are larger. You yeah. know, just the standard deviation is greater than it was in the past. And so, you know, we saw huge gains. And so it makes sense that those waves move in the opposite direction and we will see larger than our normal seasonal um, mm-hmm. declines. Again, I don't think we're, we're not going to have a reset and a correction back to a year it rents a year and a year and a half ago, just because way, wages have moved so much mm-hmm. and we are, you know, unemployment is doing so well. But I think we're, we are seeing more than a little bit of just seasonal adjustment. And I think, yeah. again, this goes back to prices of everything around the world are kind of reshuffling, resetting. And the alternative would be a, a, the alternative of, the entire global economy went through this massive disruption that was COVID-19 and government stimulus and mm-hmm. more, all, all, all of this stuff to think that like, oh, yep, no, the market priced it perfectly back in July of 21. Like that was the perfect pricing. Like yeah. everyone knew that everyone knew back in July of last year that things were nuts, mm-hmm. like absolutely insane. Yeah. It was so it's uncomfortable. It was uncomfortably nuts. Yeah. And so this like kind of is this makes sense. And mm-hmm. we would you would think that there would be some reversion and, and correction, not again, not a full reset, but like it's but a, at least some sort of reset to like we're in a period of price discovery. Same thing with buying yeah. a multifamily apartment, buying any type of commercial real estate, you're buying stock, whatever it is. What is the price of certain things? And it was way up here. It was down here. Maybe we're not going all the way back down, but where? So, okay, we're going to go to the middle. Where Where in the middle? And that's what we're all yeah. trying to figure out right now. And no one wants to really make a bunch of decisions because they don't have that information. The market's not being given steady pricing information. Mm-hmm. And again, coming back to interest rates, how do I know what to pay on something if my biggest cost, the debt, my interest rate... I don't know what that's going to look like until I am down the road of buying something, but I don't know what yep. the, my cost of capital is going to be. How do I make a decision on that? In previous years, we could we had a pr- pretty good idea of, okay, interest rates are right here. They haven't moved much. This is kind of where we know in general terms of where the interest rate is going to be. You add a little mm-hmm. bit extra on to be conservative in case you don't get that. But even back in the pandemic, again, going back to 21, if you're doing a Floyd rate loan, it's like, well, so far it's at zero. It, it just at stuck yeah. at zero. It was at stuck at zero for over a year. So like you knew it would just whatever your lender was going to, the spread your lender was going to charge or, or whatever the floor on that interest rate is. It's like, all right, we're paying two and a half percent for until so as until so for moves. Like yeah. I know that. But now, you know, I mean the 10-year was four point three. Uh, week and a half ago, the 10-year was four point three percent. And then it was three point nine five percent a couple of days later. Then it was four point one percent the next day. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars in loan proceeds. It's major changes to cash flow. Yeah. And now that's just within a couple, that's just within like a week. You know, yeah. if you're looking at 90 days 
ahead of time making the decision to plan out. And then you're supposed to go to equity partners, capital partners, Mm -hmm. and here's our business plan. But, you know, our biggest expense, we really don't know what it's going to be. And that's going to be the difference between, uh, which will affect how much equity that we actually need. And it could affect it in the millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, You know, it's like on one day, again, 10 years at 4.3. Okay, well, you know, we're going to get two or $3 million less in loan proceeds, which means that we have to go out and raise an extra two to $3 million. Mm-hmm. You know, that can, that can, that can that be done? Absolutely. Yeah. But like, it's not like a, well, that's the fear. I think of the stagflation environment. It's not necessarily the stagflation itself. It is what's done to react to it, to, yeah. to correct it. I do think, you know, if we're judging by timing, the run up is, yeah, I'm hoping it's done. <laughs> I'm hoping it's done. I mean, we'll know soon. 75 basis points uh, here in November, and then 20. People are saying, you know, 25, 15 December. In all of the all, all of the reporting, no matter whether it's you know the doom and doom and gloomiest of all, no one has really said like, well, get buckle in because renters are going to stop renting. Uh, renters are going to stop paying rent. There's nothing in the apartment market that suggests that. And I think that a lot of this is going to be a factor of the general economy itself. Yeah. And, and in those cases, you're going to have to look for maybe stable assets that will last. Oh, that, that's a thing. I mean, some, some things are going to be moving all the way up and down and mm-hmm. crashing, crashing where multifamily and apartments are going to, they're going to be moving, but it's going to be much yeah. steadier than most other asset classes. I don't think we're going to see nearly the declines that other asset class investments are going to see. Yeah. And then pose for a lot of growth as soon as we get out on the other side of whenever, wherever, that's going to be, and yeah. who knows what that's going to look like. I'm excited about 2023. <laughs> I'm excited about right now. I mean, yeah. this is, again, this is like, you know, these are the times, mm-hmm. you know, these are the times you go back and, and we talk about when you talk to colleagues, you talk to your, you tell your kids about, yeah. uh, you know, in the trenches, mm-hmm. you know, in, in COVID and, you know, digging out, digging in the foxhole, you know, as, you know, J-PAL is getting ready mm-hmm. to release, you know, weapons of mass destruction, got a ground war going on in Europe <laughs> and we've got to make some decisions and, you know, millions of dollars are on the line yeah. know, every single day. And um, so it is fascinating from, you know, an observer of the economy and the, in the investment space. It, 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 it can be very humbling as, you know, an investment manager yeah. and putting projects together. It makes you have to stay true to your convictions and understanding, okay, what's risk man i mean uh, thinking about risk management not just as saying that you know we're thinking about it but we're truly having to implement risk management practices and mm-hmm. procedures for a variety of different reasons it i think this is where folks are going to you know earn their stripes and people are going to do incredibly well or people aren't yeah. going to do anything people are going to crash and burn mm-hmm. and um it's uh again i think we do need to buckle up but i think it's i think i'm very optimistic for the next couple of years yeah um, because I'm confident that we can navigate it, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the great report. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. If that's not where you're watching, you listen to podcasts, appreciate that. If you are, um, on YouTube subscriber, you, know, you can hop us over and, uh, check us out on the podcast. That's you're right. working out, you're driving, you're not, you're, blowing snow, I guess, here in the future. Like, I want to listen to The Great Report, get updated. We've got that as an option. Check out greatreport.com. Also, if you're like, I want to stay up to date all the time, 
we got all kinds of great links and clicks on greatreport.com. And then if you liked what you heard in terms of like, hey, I'm an accredited investor and I want to, I do want to get on multifamily. I've heard these guys, they've got some really interesting deals. They're assuming some debts, getting some really low interest rate, buying deals at high cap rates that are still cash flowing, things that make sense. They're looking at risk from a management perspective. I want to learn more. GreatCapitalLLC.com. Learn all about us or go straight to Gray.fund. You get the full information on what we do at the Gray Fund. Love to have a conversation with you and see if it's a it's a good fit. Obviously, open only open to accredited investors, or I couldn't even tell you about it. Matt, any closing thoughts, comments? No, I'm I, I'm ready. Uh, yeah, I think good things are still going to happen. Good things you know, are still going to happen. It, it, they they can't. Good things can and will happen. That's right. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that is that is good. I like I like that. Good things good things can still happen. <laughs> it's possible. All right. Well, um, let's keep on keeping on. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Great Report.